This episode is powered by DEN certifications. You want to deepen your practice or supplement your knowledge for your day-to-day job? You'd be surprised to know how many certifications we do offer. All levels of Reiki, intuitive healing, compassion, animal communications, and of course, our deep 400-hour meditation teacher training program. Go to denmeditation.com and look under certifications for more information. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal Rabinowitz. I am your host and the founder of Den Meditation. Today we have a really interesting guest. She's a little bit different, but I promise you it all does connect. Her name is Dr. Jolene Brighton, and this is a mouthful. She is a functional naturopathic medical doctor and a nutritional biochemist with a focus in women endocrine health. She's also the author of two books, Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth. She's kind of the one who first brought up the fourth trimester and a new book that's coming out now, and we will be doing a giveaway called Beyond the Pill. So needless to say, she is all things women. Any question you could have about a woman, she has got it. We do talk a lot about the pill and the effects of the pill since this is her book that is coming out, but that really connects to everyday life because it is all about your hormones and all your secretions and how everything needs to be balanced. And when it's not balanced, how you feel tired and irritable, how you can't sleep, how you gain weight, how your hair thins. So this is really an amazing episode for anyone who's just curious about all the things you can be doing to balance yourself properly. I mean, how should you be sleeping properly? What antioxidants can you be taking? She's lovely. She's easy to talk to. She knows an absurd amount of information. It's kind of crazy. So listen to this. What I do love about her too, it's not about dogma. It's never about dogma. It is all about here is all the information for you. You make the right choices for yourself. And I think that's incredible because as you guys know, that is what we do here. So I really hope you like this episode. We are doing a giveaway. So stay tuned for that information as well. And she will be doing an amazing personal practice at the end, which is a sacral chakra meditation which can also be found in her book. And it's really great. It's not only helps you rebalance if you're trying to get pregnant, it's great for fertility. If you just want to have a higher libido, come on for men and women, let's do it. So it really is a great meditation. I hope you enjoy the episode. So we'll jump in. I get to talk to Dr. Jolene Brighton today. And I'm so excited because this is a woman who just fights for women. She is a doctor. You're a scientist. You're And you're like adorable and bubbly. Like you're all these things that feel like they don't match, um, <laughs> which is so great. But what is amazing, and you have, you're an author of two incredible books, one that just came out or is in the process of coming out, Beyond the Pill, you always talk about areas that have just kind of not been really spoken about. And we should start kind of with the pill, but I really want to talk about how you got to where you got to. How did you start being curious about trying to uncover answers in areas that nobody ever really gave a shit about before or thought there was actually answers that needed to be uncovered? Oh, I've been a troublemaker from day one. I think that's, <laughs> that's the short of it. Um, you, if you, you know, when you read my book, it's dedicated to every little girl who was told to like, be quiet and stop asking questions because that was me. I questioned everything as a child. And I was always interested in like, if there's an anatomy textbook, that's what I'd be hanging out with. I was interested in herbal medicine. I was such a nerd from day one. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I would get the books on like folklore medicine doing air quotes because I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I just always had a genuine curiosity as to like 
why do things work the way they do? And um, it's almost like, you know, there's very much a part of me that's like, I've been a healer in past lives, which is why as a child, I just gravitated to that and was like, I want to learn about herbal medicine. I want to learn about just all of these things that, you know, were once upon a time called woo-woo out there, crazy medicine. And now people are like, oh yeah, there's legit science to that as well. So I mean, that's really where it all started. And as a kid, I was a really sick kid. So I had a lot of um, chronic digestive issues dismissed. At one point, doctors couldn't figure it out. So they decided I was making it all up. And then research discovered H. pylori, a bacterial infection that causes uh, ulcers, gastritis, which, you know, I had gastritis in my stomach on an endoscopy. Like there were findings there. But after, you know, the doctors not being able to figure out why, they were like, uh, you're probably making it up. This is like attention seeking. And then it was, you know, that was like a decade struggle until the doctors figured out, oh, she has H. pylori. And that was after a study came out. Medicine learned better. They were able to do better. And I think that was a very early how lesson. How old were you? Um, I was 17 by the time I got that diagnosis. Yeah. And how old were you when you started even trying to find answers? Um, it started at seven, um, at seven years Holy old. Holy shit. I know. I started having, you know, digestive issues. It progressed to where I was like vomiting after most meals. And they were trying to chalk it up to like, she has an eating disorder and that's what's going on. And I'm like, no, that's not what's going on. <laughs> like I have like this reflux that wakes me up at night. Of course, I didn't have the words around that. And, you know, I, I remember like, you know, going to health conferences, like, uh, when, so I went to the, I wish I remember what that health conference was, but I went to this one health conference and I was probably like 11 and they gave this <laughs> book and the book was like, Oh, here are like just these common, uh, you know, common symptoms that can come up and foods that can help. And I was so fascinated with that. And so, you know, at 17, when my doctor was like, you're going to be on a proton and pump inhibitor for the rest of your life. We've never tested this on, you know, I was on this, these things that are over the counter now. I was on them when I was a child. No one had tested them on children before. And they were like, you're going to be on that for the rest of your life. And your diet has no connection. And that was something where I was like, you know, I'm making observations about what can happen um, when I change my diet. So I'm going to try that. And I that's what I ended up doing. But I've always, it's always something where Anytime someone's like handing dogma, it sends off the alarm signals in my brain. Mm -hmm. Like my brain can't do... Me too, by the way. Yeah. It's something... I can't do dogmatic uh, thinking and I have a really hard time with inconsistencies. Like my brain... It's like a... It's an itch on my brain that I can't handle. And so, you know, the inconsistencies of like, for example... Um, we will tell women that the newer versions of hormonal birth control are safer and have lower rates of breast cancer just because they are lower. Oh, but by the way, you can't use any of these other therapies because there's no evidence for us to use them. We don't have science on that. But we never had science to make those claims. And then the research study comes out and says, oh, actually, they were never any safer. They they have the same risks as, as the original you know formulations did. And so it's those kinds of things that like those inconsistencies that I also I just have a hard time with. And I got to know why and what's going on. So basically with the pill, you're saying that they would say the risk is lower just because there's been other things out there in the universe that has made a breast cancer lower risk, period. Oh, no. And then they so, made it a yeah. claim for themselves. So what they actually said, so they they came out with new formulations of hormonal birth control that were lower dose hormones. And so they said, well, because the hormones are lower, 
therefore the breast cancer risk is lower. But they never had any evidence to back that up. And then a study came out and was like, no, it's the risk is not any lower. The risk is still there. It's the same. And that's the thing I'm talking about is like when on one hand the, you know, medicine will say, oh, we know this to be truth and fact, but we have no evidence of that. Oh, but if you're going to use an herb or change your diet, you better make sure you have evidence before you do something like that. That it's just there's these inconsistencies that, you know, have always, uh, even as a child, I've been like, what, what is up with that? Like, I've got to understand that. So, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, my husband and I were, were talking about that today about, he's like, you started this whole fourth trimester talk with your first book and then you got into your second book like talking about birth control and he's like, you just talk about the things that like people don't talk about. I'm like, you know, that's what my patients have said about me for a long time is like I talk about the stuff that like we were taught we shouldn't talk about. Again, troublemaker. (laughs) But that's so great because it's so interesting because like the pill in some ways is like a symbol of like women's lib. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, in some ways it's actually like given us so much freedom and it's like propelled us. But then at the same time, by doing that, there's still that like, "Mm, we don't talk about that. Like that's not for us to talk about. So it's like given us a power, but also still this total shadow of nobody gives a shit or wants to know these weird, like, girly things. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's the same thing that, like, it's totally taboo to question hormonal birth control. Like, I've had people, um, you know, a lot of people are getting behind this conversation now. But, like, years ago when I started talking about this, I took a lot of heat for it. And there were people who were like, you're the anti-feminist woman and you're anti-birth control. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I would never advocate to take away contraceptive rights to women. And, you know, I took the pill for 10 years. I'm a first generation college student who became a doctor who I'm the first gal in my family not to get pregnant before 20 like that was huge that was a huge Huge. tool for my life why would I ever say like oh and when people will say like oh I bet you wish you never did that I'm like I don't, I can't say that. Like, look where I am now. Like that might've been a necessary step. Like I I might've been in a different place, a different trajectory altogether had I made a different decision. So it is something that I feel like some people, you know, we're finally to a place where, and I want to say thank you millennials, because I feel like they're the generation more driving this, where we're at a place where we can question this. Because why have we not seen better iterations on our contraceptive options? Well, because we couldn't even question it. Because to question hormonal birth control was like to question women's liberation and the women's movement. And that's not what it's about. And as you read in my book, really the way, you know, when women start talking about, you know, being a feminist or feminism, we don't have to put labels on things. But like the way I really see it is like, if you want to talk about feminism, really the new feminism is, is understanding your options and your body's so well that at the end of the day, you absolutely knew you made the best choice for yourself. And that's what it comes down to. Not what I think is best for you, not what your mom thinks is best for you, not what some politician thinks is best for you, but what you think is best for you. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, look, that's why I really wanted to talk to you. We're so similar that way. It's why I created The Den. It's all about even in spirituality, like figure out who you are Mm -hmm. so that you can figure out how to put one foot in front of the other every day in life because you'll be doing it for you and understanding what's best for you. And same thing, I don't think there's one dogma or one lineage that is right for every single person or maybe even one person. You might have to do a little bit from everywhere. And I've said, I've actually gotten in arguments, like I've heard moms you hear this a lot in a different way. You're talking about it with health and body, but I hear a lot of moms sometimes being like, oh my God, my child loves the, all this princess stuff. And no matter what I do, I keep taking it away from her and I keep not letting her change like that. And I won't buy a princess doll. What can I do? What books can I get that are not about princesses? 
you know, I'm a feminist. How can this happen? And I'm like, but isn't a feminist just letting her have the choice? I was like, the, maybe she likes princesses. Like, also, that's, just, that's your shit. You got to go deal with that. Right. <laughs> I was like, just because you like princesses doesn't mean you're not a feminist. Like, it's because people didn't have the choice before not to like them is when it was a problem. But yeah. like, if, if she has all this choice and she's choosing to dress like a princess and wants to celebrate princesses and wants her birthday to be a princess birthday, like, not letting her do that is just as bad as what it used to be too. It's like you're taking choice away. Totally. And like, to me, I, I'm with you. I'm like uh, feminism and women empowerment is all about choice, whatever that is. And I love that about your style of like, I'm going to give you information and, and we will dive into all that stuff. Like I'm going to give you information about what you should know about how your body works, what the pill's really about. And you even said before, like if you want to use the pill as that's the best contraception for you and that's all you're using it for, you're not covering up other medical reasons, which we can talk about, like then you should absolutely do that. And I think that's great that you're all about like what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to is that I, you know, when all of this, all the birth control really started in my life, yes, there was the fact I took it, but I spent two years (laughs) doing rotations in a homeless youth clinic. These are women who don't have doors. They're very high risk for sexual assault. Like having a baby and living on the street, that's not something that, you know, these women, you know, were aspiring for. They needed to have these contraceptive options. And so that's very much like, we don't know someone's life better than they do. And, you know, when it comes down to it, like it's not a, jo- a doctor's job to fear monger you or, you know, push you into making a decision because that's what's easiest, convenient for them. Or, you know, they're scaring the bejesus out of you because that happens. But it's really for your doctor to give you the information you need and to support you in whatever you decide. And if you decide to take hormonal birth control, you should know everything that's going down with that. You should know how to track your data, what labs to monitor, and you certainly should have the information to stay safe while you're on it. I mean, even simple things of like making sure you're eating a whole foods diet so that you're getting those good nutrients that the pill can be depleting. So let's talk about it. What are the biggest misconceptions of this contraception. (laughs) Yeah. Like really, what are the biggest misconceptions of the pill? I think, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions is that hormonal birth control only affects the reproductive system. And that is something that, you know, I think it's a convenient narrative, but it's not the full story where doctors will say, you know, this is only going to, they don't even tell you it's going to shut down your whole reproductive system. They even tell you your brain and ovaries are not going to talk for as long as you're on this. But you know, the idea that that's the only system it's impacting is really incorrect because we now understand that it lowers microbial diversity and leads to leaky gut. What's known in medicine is intestinal hyperpermeability. It has an impact on your thyroid and your adrenal glands. It's linked now to autoimmune disease. We've got studies showing that. You know, there's there's definitely mechanisms at play in how it's altering the female brain. It even alters mate selection, like who you're attracted to. Um, really? And, oh, yeah. Like there's a section in my book that, um, you know, is the pill and your bad boyfriend. <laughs> and like, and it, was, it goes like, you know, I'm not going to say that that's solely the reason for your bad boyfriend, your you know bad choices, but... You know, when we are attracted to our mate, they are expressing in their scent their MHC complex, which is a protein that tells us it's involved in the immune system. And we smell it. It tells us 
Are they genetically diverse in comparison to the genes I'm carrying? And we want to select somebody who's as different as us so that our baby gets, you know, basically this buffet of genes to choose from. So in ideal world, you, you pick all, you, you know, go and pick all the best genes there. But it gives baby the most robust immune system as well. And that can really contribute to not only, you know, the health and longevity of baby, but of the entire species. So, I mean, that's kind of a big question right there is like, wow, what impact is this having like on our entire species with that if we're on hormonal birth control and selecting for mates who are more genetically similar to us? Like, and that's not like, look, if you were on the pill, you got married, you had a baby with that guy. I'm not saying you did anything wrong. And just saying there's the science out there, you know, caught, raising these questions that should give us all pause and something to consider. I mean, what's kind of amazing about all of this, and you are the queen and know everything is, <laughs> and it's, look, and it's what meditation does too. It's everything is really controlled by like our gland secretion, our hormones, male or female, like everything, uh-huh. like from what you're talking about, it's thought, depression, like your moods, your health, like it, it really, if you're sex dry, I mean, everything, like the way you process, the way you're, and that's what I always find fascinating is how much it affects like the way you think mm-hmm. and how you feel. And so what you're saying is like even how you're choosing a mate because it just, it's, it's crazy how, and, and that's what I love about your book. I know it's very specific, the new book is specific to the pill, but I love how you talk about, I mean, you give recipes in there. Like it's really like using the word buffet, like you just did a buffet of different ways you can take care of yourself and start balancing yourself, which is such a gift. Mm-hmm. But what do you feel like some of the easy things or maybe just things people should start paying attention to of rebalancing themselves? Yeah. Well, so when we talk about like rebalancing ourselves and like what we need to pay attention to, we have to start thinking, like you have to kind of reverse engineer like what did the hormonal birth control pill do to you as long as you were on it? Number one is it depleted nutrients. So things like B12, folate, magnesium, selenium, zinc, these are all very necessary to hormone health, liver detoxification, building neurotransmitters, building hormones. I mean, there are so many mechanisms hundreds that magnesium alone is involved in. So with that, we've got to replenish nutrient stores. And I am always a food first individual, but I will tell you, if you are on hormonal birth control, you got to eat that whole foods diet, but you're not going to be able to out diet hormonal birth control. It's just like any other pharmaceutical that depletes nutrients. It requires a supplement to replenish those. And so if you're on it or you've been on it, a good prenatal or multivitamin is absolutely essential. And then we have to start looking at liver detoxification practices. So, you know, in the first two weeks of the 30-day protocol within my book, you're going to go into liver detox practices. And that's a lot of food-based. There are options for supplements as well, but we have to look at eating high quality proteins, making sure we're getting our cruciferous vegetables, things like onions, garlic, burdock root. I love burdock root. Um, dandelion <laughs> root tea. I'm like, I, in my Portland home, I actually have a lot. I grow a lot of my own herbs and there's a lot of burdock going on, <laughs> which if people are in the Pacific Northwest, they'll know that's also like how Velcro was invented. So they are, yeah. they are problematic. They make these burdock balls and once they get on you, your clothes are ruined. I have curly hair. I hope it never, ever gets in my hair. I've been fortunate. Um, But burdock is a really great route for supporting liver detoxification. But 
as long as you're on hormonal birth control, it's your liver that has to detoxify those synthetic hormones. And we know from the research that with the introduction of hormonal birth control, we saw structural changes and genetic changes come to a woman's liver. So women developed more benign liver tumors. We diagnosed more of those once uh, the pill was introduced. Now they're benign. That means non-cancerous for the most part. They can be cancerous, but for the most part, they're benign but they rupture really easily. There's a lot of blood moving through your liver. So that's something that like we've got to pause and consider. And if you're hearing that and you're like, oh my God, I'm freaking out, go to your doctor. <laughs> they can check your liver. They can just do a quick little palpation and fill your liver edge to be smooth. So, and, and if you're really scared, you can get an ultrasound. So I never want anyone to feel afraid when they're listening to me. Now, the other thing- What are symptoms that, that your liver's off? Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's an entire quiz of like, do I need to do a detox that you'll find in the book? And it's things like I'm getting headaches or I walk into, uh, so right now, as you and I are talking, I'm in Paris right now. They love themselves some fragrance. Like I walked into a Sephora and it was like a red carpet with about like 20 something people like spraying <laughs> fragrances at me. And I felt like I was like a ninja swatting it. I was like, oh, fragrance. No, like you never know what's in fragrance. And there's all these endocrine disruptors. Um, but my liver was working well because I didn't get a headache. But people who have, um, you know, they have like what gets called a sluggish liver or or they're having a hard time detoxifying, they like, they walk past the doors of like the Macy's department store and they're like, I have a headache. Like they can't go get their nails done. They get a headache. Like those smells, they're, they're having a hard time detoxifying. We'll also see issues with like skin. So you can be really itchy. You can have rashes going on. Maybe you're expressing symptoms of estrogen dominance. So uh, irritability and anger is such, those are such the emotions of the liver. And if you're not dealing with your anger on the energetic level, just by the way, you will put that in your liver and that will bog that system down as well. So as you were saying, you can, it's, it's never just your food, you guys. Like there's so many it's people. Everything. Yeah. But even the way you talk to yourself, the way you process your emotions, like there's so much. I mean, this is the really cool thing. Healing doesn't happen in a doctor's office. It happens by every single choice that you make every day. And so what you put in on the end of your fork, absolutely essential. How you move or not move and whether that matches your lifestyle absolutely has the ability to shift your hormones and your health overall. I mean, all of these things really come together. That's what holistic health is. That's why it's like, yep. you know, the, the, like whenever people are like, you know, I hear this like, my doctor just passed me the pill and was like, just take the pill. This is the solution for everything. Thing. I call it the pill for every female ill. I just laugh. I'm like, hi, the 1950s called and they want that bunk medicine back. Like this, like we know way too much now. <laughs> and it's true. It is everything. It's like I have acne, I get cramps. I have the, and like you get the pill. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got it. I mean, I wanted it, but it was like, that was like the doctor's way of giving it to me in front of my mom. It was like, oh, like this will help with her really bad periods. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's how I got on it too. I was like, wait, I don't yeah. have to bleed for seven to eight days a month and be writhing on the floor in pain vomiting sign me up. I'll take that. And like 60%, the estimate is about 60% or more of women are using it for symptom management, which is like so much about what my book is about. It's like, if you have these symptoms, like there's a chapter, I call it the Dakota ring chapter. Like the day you got your period, you should have got this chapter of like, if you have this symptom, this is what it means. This is what your doctor should investigate. This is the lab testing you should advocate for. And here's what to do right now. So that, I mean, natural therapies take time. We've got to start now. And that makes you feel empowered that you can take steps to reverse that. But you know, that's really a disservice is when we pass a woman hormonal birth control of any kind for symptom management without a question 
question of why. These are the women who end up later getting diagnosed with thyroid disease, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, like things that have a root cause that needed to be addressed so the disease didn't progress, but instead her symptoms were masked. She had this withdrawal bleed once a month, so her doctor's like, yay, your period is fixed, and it's not. I mean, hormonal, how can, how can a medication that stops your ovaries from working fix your ovaries? Like, it just can't. Like, that's not a fix. That's a Band-Aid. And if you want to use a Band-Aid, that's your choice, 100%. But you should at least have a doctor who's willing to investigate why. Yeah, and at least let you know it's just a Band-Aid. So you're aware, like, this isn't actually fixing the problem, and that's still your choice. Okay, it's time to talk about our next Dentox Live. These have been so great. You guys are going to be obsessed with this next one. It's July 26th, a Friday night at the La Brea location. We have Paul Selig. He is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. He's written some incredible books. He does not do events very often, but he is going to be here to not only talk about what channeling is, to dive into that energy, but he's also going to do a reading for us. So how cool is that to be in the room and be able to have a chance to talk to someone who can channel? This is huge. It's rare. It's going to be amazing. Join us. Again, that's Friday, July 26th. Typical Dentox Live. You get your Q&A portion. There'll be fun goodies and giveaways as well and a chance to mingle at the end. We can't wait to see you. Go to dentoxpodcast.com and reserve your spot. So how much of fertility issues for women do you think are based on the pill or just the fact that the pill has actually allowed most of us to be older when we start actually trying to have kids? Yeah, well, and the other piece to that is that how many of us were put on hormonal birth control at 14, 15, 16 for like painful heavy periods that were was endometriosis that was never diagnosed. So then you went, you know, a decade or two, then tried to have a baby and now you have adhesions that are blocking your fallopian tube. Or how many of us were past hormonal birth control for acne and as it turns out, you actually had PCOS. And PCOS is rooted in insulin dysregulation and inflammation. It's a metabolic disorder and that was allowed to progress. And now you've come off the pill hoping to get pregnant, and lo and behold, you have these conditions that no one told you about. The same happens with hypothyroidism because women will have irregular periods or periods that go missing. Their doctor will put them on the pill. Hypothyroidism is a common cause of infertility. So it absolutely could be due to a pre-existing condition, but there is research coming out, and it's the reproductive endocrinologists who have been questioning this. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have uh, said... Something they've observed is there is a downregulation of the receptors in the endometrial tissue. So for people listening, the endometrial tissue is the lining of your uterus. It's why you have a period. You build it up to have a baby, didn't get pregnant, shed it, that's a period. And so with that, this is believed that the downregulation of the receptors is why the risk of endometrial cancer is lower when you're on hormonal birth control, except that there have been observations that those receptors don't necessarily come back just because you stop birth control. And so we need more information. This is why we have to start having this conversation so that we can ask why, so we can understand who does this happen to, so we can counsel better and we can figure out how to undo that damage. Now, you know, the other piece of that is there are women who develop post-pill amenorrhea. There are some brilliant researchers who are uh, talking about the younger we are put on hormonal birth control, the less time our body was given to mature in its communication between brain and ovaries. So the, the HPO axis, the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. Now with that, so post-pill amenorrhea, that's loss of menstruation. 
if you had regular, so average 28 days, not everybody's period is 28 days, but they came predictable. Before you started the pill, we expect that when you come off, you're not going to have a period. It, it could take three months to come back. And that's about the time a doctor will start investigating. At least they should. Now, if you had irregular periods, and that's why you're put on hormonal birth control, they expect that it's going to take six months before your period will come back. Now, with that in mind, that may be due to PCOS, but if it's hypothyroidism, if it's really anything, I mean, what if it's, you know, a benign brain tumor known as a prolactinoma? Like, we should be investigating that sooner than later. But there have been studies that show that it can take women um, up to 18 months to two years to actually start ovulating again and get pregnant. Now, if you know that and you know you want to have a baby, then you're going to want to come off the pill sooner. But so many of us get handed this story that, oh, as soon as you come off the pill, everything will be normal again and you will, you'll get pregnant easily. But that's not necessarily true. And so if you're coming off of hormonal birth control, and let's say you're 38, 39, and it could take you yeah. two years, like that's a confounding variable in terms of your fertility. Now, back to the piece I was saying about the brain um, ovary maturation is that, you know, it can take a good decade is, is what these uh, researchers are hypothesizing for the brain and ovarian communication to really take hold and for that to be strong and established. But how many girls are starting their period, it's irregular in the first year and being put on hormonal birth control? Right. By the way, it's not uncommon to have irregular periods when you start. Your body's just figuring it out. It's like, it's almost like, right. you know, medicine thinks we just turned on a light switch. Light switch is on, everything's working. And it's like, well, yeah, no, that's a nice idea, but then there's also just nature and nature's kind of messy. It's also, I was going to say, do you feel like that's part of just the general attitude of we all feel like we have to fix everything right away? Like nobody has patience of just being like, you know, just being within the imperfection because it is fascinating. Like if a girl is, I mean, it could be anywhere from what, 12, I mean, you're young, like 12 years old, let's say average, right? 12, 13. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if it's not perfect, like if it's not every 28 days or, I mean, I had like really, when I first had my period, my cramps were awful mm -hmm. and it did, it balanced out. It took time. Yeah. But I mean, it was horrible in the beginning, but it did balance out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also something too that like, I mean, I had those horrible cramps and I'm like, I wish somebody would have said to me like, you know, if you ate more omega-3 fatty acids, so more cold water fish, and then you had more magnesium-rich foods, then those periods would get easier. But instead, I went to high school. I was like, I'm not going to really eat. Sometimes I eat crumb donuts for like lunch. <laughs> like, no wonder my periods got worse. I was eating processed inflammatory foods. That's going to make your periods painful. But while well, that is going on, like the, you know, the estrogen dominance, like that is, and this is the thing I really want people to understand is that for some reason, we think, again, it's that light switch thing, like osteoporosis. You turned 60, you got osteoporosis. No, you, you turned like 12 and you were like, you were setting the stage for that. And that's why like, it's important to understand that everything you do today is, you know, it's a choice. It's one step in the direction of disease or towards health. And life is going to happen sometimes and it's going to throw you some curveballs. So know that. And if you ate crumb donuts like me for lunch, ain't nobody judging you. I did fast food too. Um, but just to like understand, like, I mean, I got on the pill for my symptoms. And I look back and I'm like, well, what if I had just changed my diet? Like what would have been different for me in my life? So what do you, you have this clinic in 
in Oregon, correct? And when people come to you, and granted, I'm sure a lot of people come to you because of the pill or fertility from everything you're talking about, but you really do study this in a wide, I mean, you had Hashimoto's, so you've had your own autoimmune disease and thyroid issues. So you do study this from a much broader perspective. What is the first thing you do when someone comes in? Like, what's the panel you give them? Like, what do you do mm -hmm. that most doctors are not doing? I ask a lot of questions. Like, when I tell people I'm going to ask you like 100 questions, they always laugh. And I also, I hand them right away a journal. <laughs> and I'm like, take notes. Because by the time we get to the end of this, your brain's going to be fatigued. And you're going to be like, what did she say to me? So I am very much like uh, straight out in the gate, you need to be charting your data. And then I ask a lot of detailed questions. So and then um, so based on the answers that I get and what the primary concern is, then from there, we go into the lab testing. And so part of my treatment plans is always, there's always the dietary component. What can you start doing right now to start shifting your diet? Because the reality is, um, you know, you go see a doctor and they'll be like, oh, here's the perfect diet that you should do. But like, who does that straight out the gate? It takes a few weeks to find your rhythm. And I actually encourage my patients like, Give yourself, like take a week to just look through the whole diet, like look through everything. They partner, they work with a nutritionist in my practice as well. And like, and then wrap your head around it. Put it on the fridge. Every time you open the fridge, start to reference, okay, what's, what are we going to be doing different here? And then ease your way into it. So there's the dietary piece. Then there's specific lifestyle recommendations, which, you know, and beyond the pill, you're going to see the similar things based on what's going on and what you figure out for your hormones. These are the lifestyle practices I recommend. And so, you know, there's going to be lifestyle practices. Um, what I think is really cool is I've always prescribed ending your yep. showers with cold water, cold which is like, that is old school naturopathy, hydrotherapy. Like you learn that your first year. And now you're seeing so much research coming out about that that I'm like, yeah, this is, I, I love, like, that's what I love, this folklore stuff that has always been like a health practice that now is being validated by science. I know it is interesting. It just takes people time to wrap their heads around it, I guess. Yeah. So what do you feel like, what are your, what are the main things people come to you for? Like, what'd you say the number one thing that walks in the door? Oh, it's you? hormone imbalance. That's always like, it's either, you know, and it just varies. It can be sometimes like I'm fatigued. I'm, uh, you know, having anxiety, depression. I'm feeling, uh, you know, I'm having cramps. I mean, but the majority of my patients do have thyroid conditions going on. And that's just a really common theme. And um, so like I was saying, you know, my treatment plans, you get the diet, you get the lifestyle piece. You get the quick wins, so I'm all about let's get you, let's get you feeling better as soon as possible, and then um, we go into that lab testing. And a thyroid panel is absolutely something I do with every one of my patients, and I recommend that every woman have a thyroid panel every single year, including her antibodies, because you know I'll hear doctors say like. Well, her antibodies were negative five years ago. And it's like, well, that's funny. You know, autoimmune disease can be turned on at any time. Like, we need to screen it. It's the number one autoimmune disease in women. And it's growing. I mean, it's it's growing at alarming rates. And why do you think it's growing so much? Um, so what I what so there's I mean, there's so many factors here. It's very multifactorial. I think a big part of it is that the female voice has also been stifled for a very long time. And if you think about where the thyroid is, I mean, that that's your throat chakra. That's where it's sitting at. And I think that for a very, very long time in history, I mean, we go back to like, I mean, back when they were calling us witches and like, you know, turning us against each other because we practiced medicine, like earth-based medicine, we've had our voices stifled. And then we also have that negative self-talk. 
that's like been ingrained in us. I mean, it's really has like, it's something, it's still a practice. Like I have gone through so many different, different practices because I will start the negative self-talk and then be like, I got it dialed in. I'm not doing it anymore. Woo. And then I fall back into it. Cause that's life. Like that is life. But what is autoimmune disease? But you attacking yourself, your body attacking yourself. And I think that, you know, when I work with patients, I explain to them, there's your physical body. And it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you can't deal with the emotional stuff that you got to deal with, the energetic stuff you got to deal with. And you guys can't see me, but you can. And I'm going out and out <laughs> into those astral bodies there. But, you know, with that, there's, you've got to take care of the physical body. And once the physical body is in a place where it feels safe, that's when the next level healing happens. And that's usually when the existential crisis comes. And my patient's like, oh my God, like I remember this thing that happened to me as a child or, oh my God, I'm changing careers or I can't be with this person anymore. And like, it's just, and that's when the emotions start to move. And you know, that is when the healing really starts. And everybody wants like, there are people who know that I do this and they're like, I want, I came for that. And I'm like, sorry, you gotta, you gotta do the foundational work. You gotta take care of the physical body first. Otherwise you don't have the energy and the capacity and the strength to go into that energetic body. But if you don't, so in, um, uh, my mentor had taught me there are emunctories in the body. So ways that we detoxify. And I practice, um, this uh, style of Belgian homeopathy called biotherapeutic drainage. And it's all about the energetic body. And with that, you know, you poop every day, you exhale every day. These are ways you move out waste. But the hardest and the last emunctory for people to open is always the emotional one. And that's the one that like, that's the one that closed off first that really rooted disease in our body. And so it's something that like we work on all of those levels. And, you know, we once people start getting to that place, I mean, that's when I'm like, okay, so from what I'm hearing, we need to bring in a shaman or here's my intuitive counselor that I partner with. And like, here are these other healers that have to be part of this because, um, you know, I think we can all appreciate right now in this moment that the conventional medicine paradigm is failing us in a lot of ways. And it's because it is so good at acute medicine. And I'm so grateful for these conventional docs and the acute medicine because I've been there needing it and I'm so grateful. But part of that is because we've looked at the physical body as just a body and we've compartmentalized it and we chopped it up and we acted like it was all separate. And at the end of the day, your body doesn't care how we want to compartmentalize things. It is all connected. And the, you know, it's something that we saw, you know, I'm not a Chinese medicine practitioner, but the school I graduated from teaches classical Chinese medicine, which is all about the spirituality of it. And we see the traditional Chinese medicine, you know, deviated. They pulled that out of there. And there's a lot that was lost in that wisdom. And the idea that like we are only a physical body is just laughable at this stage of like what we know and understand in the science, guys, in the science. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I love what you're saying. I mean, first of all, it is all connected and you are your own little universe, which I love. It's like spiritually, energetically, physically. It's your own little universe that connects with another universe and then the bigger universe. And I love that you were saying you do have to take care of the physical body in order to be able to really go through the energetic body. Because I do think that's where this all does connect in such a huge, beautiful way. And what do you feel like what are some of the things people can do basically just even if they don't walk into you and they're like, I have this problem. What are things that you're like, if you're not doing this in your everyday life, 
you shouldn't walk out. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I don't want anything to be dogmatic for anybody, <laughs> but I will say honoring your circadian rhythm the best that you can. Um, this is another example of like Chinese medicine for Evs was like, hey, all of your organs are on clocks. And, um, you know, conventional medicine, you know, the Western medicine was like, that's crazy talk. That's woo woo. Um, and I actually hate the word woo woo, but everybody gets what I'm uh, putting down. I know, but it's like, I keep trying to figure out another <laughs> word to replace woo woo. And it kind of fits it the best. I know it's really hard. I'm with you. I don't love it either, well, but I say like, it all the time. I mean, I hate the word, but at the same time, I'm like, but the people who criticize it, they're going to call it woo woo. Yeah. So like, we all get what I'm saying right now, of right? Uh, you picking up what I'm putting exactly. down. So that's the point of language. <laughs> so, you know, but with that, then a study came out, I believe it was 2016, that was like, hey, if you're not sleeping, your liver actually doesn't detoxify. It doesn't actually do its job. And there's like, hey, all of our organs are on like biological clocks. And then they're like, we discovered this thing. I'm like, no, you didn't. You validated what this other theory was saying forever. forever. By the way, you criticize them. Go say you're sorry and thank you. <laughs> like, go back to that. Please like, make up. Yeah, that'd be cool. But, um, you know, I think with that, your circadian rhythm is super important. And as I talk about in Beyond the Pill, the light pollution issue is real. I mean, back in the 1970s, they were making observations in the science saying light pollution is impacting the female menstrual cycle. That was the 1970s. That was before LED street lamps outside every single window, before we walked around. And like right now, you and I are chatting. I'm wearing my amber glasses. Yeah. Yeah, I have oh, my amber glasses. Those are cute. On. Yeah, these are my true darks. I love these ones. Um, but these, uh, they you don't know, look are, I, I got to get that name because those don't look as bad as some of the ones that do. No. Do you remember like when they started and they were like, oh. they were like, you just had your cataract screening. Like they were like yes. these huge things. It was like those big, oh. oh, orange things. Yeah. And you look like, you look like you're a construction worker, like protecting your eyes or something. Um, they're so much more fashionable now. That is for sure. But you know, that was back in the 1970s. And now, you know, I'm looking at a computer screen. I've got a computer in my hand. Like I'm holding a phone. Like there, there's light everywhere. And so, you know, a really simple thing you can do, uh, you know, one, you can get off your computer two hours before bed, but that's not realistic for everybody. So, you know, putting on, I, I find it very indulgent to do my night shift with my amber glasses. My brain really loves that. Um, but you can wear these amber glasses in the evening. Try not to expose yourself to excess amount of light. That's also good for the planet. And if you take care of the planet, you are ultimately taking care of yourself. And, um, you know, go by candlelight. So you'll read this in Beyond the Pill where I recommend my patients go by candlelight like once a week. You, you guys, if you're a mom, you want to know something to get your kid to sleep at night? Like when my husband goes out of town, the house is on like sun goes down. We are on candles only. And then my wow. son just goes to sleep. And my husband's like, how did you do that? I'm like, because melatonin naturally rises as the sun comes down and the lights go down and candlelight won't disrupt that. And then cortisol, uh, or excuse me, melatonin will go up. Cortisol will come down. <clears throat> then first thing in the morning, your cortisol should spike. That's what wakes you up. Open up the curtains and expose yourself to sunlight and let it's your eyes are the most important thing. Although there are, you know, research coming out about photoreceptors on your skin, whether or not you can see the sun does not matter. It is there. The light, the light rays are coming through and that will actually help in terms of the pineal gland. And like the pineal gland is a very, very important gland, um, especially where it's centered in the body. And so with that, that's a really simple practice that you can do. 
It's going to safeguard your sleep. When you sleep, your growth hormone comes up. All of these yummy hormones that come out to repair your body, to reset you from the day. And you can get cycling in that way. And if you want to get pregnant and that's on your agenda, expose yourself to moonlight. Like get into the moonlight, the full moonlight. And you'll read in Beyond the Pill, I have a whole... Um, practice of pulling down the moon, which is something that's borrowed from Chinese medicine in terms of like bringing that yin energy into your womb space. Do you feel like you can reverse most infertility issues? Most or? I said most because I don't think all is a fair word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's really depends. So when it comes to fertility issues, it depends on what the root cause is, what's been going on in her lifetime. You know, as we understand, like, you know, for example, it can be really complex. Like, what if you were living on a super fun site, so really toxic part of the United States, and you didn't know it, Um, and you found this out like decades later, that's a lot of environmental toxins, and um, these environmental toxins, just know this, ladies, anything that hurts your mitochondria hurts your ovaries, but your ovaries are rich in mitochondria, and so anything that helps your mitochondria, though, can help your fertility, and I've certainly had um, patients, you know, that, you know, I had a patient that, like, for 10 years, she was infertile, and we just worked on the root cause of these things. We built her up with antioxidants, did, you know, all kinds of therapies and she was able to conceive. And so it is possible. And I'm always careful because it is really heartbreaking to be infertile, to have a miscarriage. You know, when I had a miscarriage, no medical school training prepared me for having my heart ripped to pieces like that. Like there, yeah. there's nothing that prepares you. And so I'm really careful with that. So if people are like, why is she tiptoeing around this? Because I don't want to be insensitive. And I also don't want to say, oh yeah, of course, like you can just do all these things because sometimes that feels like, oh, well then it's because me, it's my, my fault. fault. Right. I'm doing something wrong. And understand men are 50% of the equation. All too often in women's medicine when it comes to fertility, it's all about the woman, test the woman, treat the woman. We look at sperm, uh, the sperm's passable, it's not awesome, but whatever, it's still her. And there's been times where I like, you know, will be like loading men up. I'm like, you're going to take as much vitamin C as you possibly can. Let's get to the selenium going. Like, let's work on those glutathione, like, you know, stores. Like, let's get you detoxifying. Like, sometimes there's heavy metals present. And then lo and behold, they get pregnant. And it's like, wow. And like, how many IVF treatments did she have? And at the end of the day, those dudes weren't swimming the way they should have (laughs) been. Yeah. No, it is so interesting. I, I had, I struggled too. I mean, like so many women, I really struggled. And, but my issue was always really unique because it was never, I, my hormones were always in balance and I always produced, actually, we always had embryos that were healthy. I just could mm-hmm. never get pregnant no matter what. Like, yeah. Never. So it was like the total opposite problem. And, and I have found, maybe you know more, that there's so little research done on implantation and Mm -hmm. there's a lot now done on like the hormones and, and the embryos and the ovaries and the, and all that, but it's very little on implantation. So once that's your issue for a while, they're kind of like, (laughs) well, and you know, what's interesting about that is that there have been studies to show that the egg essentially surveys the uterus for Um, for inflammation to make sure it's not hostile, but it also will for nutrients. And so that's another consideration of like coming off of hormonal birth control. You have to rebuild the nutrient stores, bring down the inflammation. There was a study that showed um, last year a mild increased risk of childhood cancer if you got pregnant within six months of discontinuing hormonal birth control. 
which is not to shame anybody. If that happened, it already happened. There's so many things to that you can do now. I mean, epigenetics is so forgiving um, in terms of like what the environment can do to shift the genes in the right way. Um, but it is something worth considering. And, you know, I, I brought, I remember bringing up this study one time and, you know, someone said like, oh, so you're saying like, it's a woman's fault because she's not eating right. I'm like, I'm not saying that. I'm just yeah. saying like, what if we flooded the system with like so many awesome nutrients brought down inflammation. The other thing is that uh, not a lot of docs are checking for TPO antibodies that, um, that can lead to an increased risk of miscarriage and, you know, inability to maintain a pregnancy. I mean, there's so many factors that come into this and you're absolutely right. I have four. Yeah. I forced my doctors to do that final panel too. And Mm -hmm. I have like, I've had so many girlfriends where I've been like, just that are older. And I'm like, just do the panel, like make them do the panel. They won't want to, they're going to say no, just make them do it now. Cause that information is so helpful. And it's like Mm -hmm. that like autoimmune panel that they just won't do until you've like suffered for like three years basically. And you're like, why can't we just do it earlier? Know the information because almost always there's a piece of information there. And it's like, we could have been working off of that. I'm all yeah. for like you. I'm all like, let's get all the information and then we can make good choices. Totally. And that's something, but they don't you give know, you information. Well, and part of it is like, and I can respect this, is that they're like, well, what am I going to do if I find this? If I don't have a treatment, if there's not a treatment for my findings, there's nothing, like it's not going to, basically the, the thought goes in medicine, if you're going to test a lab, um, that lab outcome better reflect uh, or impact your treatment. And so it's got to have some bearing on that. And so if it, if it won, they like, I wouldn't know what to do about it. That's respectable. They're not going to run it, although they could refer you out otherwise. And two is like, sometimes they don't know what it means or how to interpret it, which right. is another good reason not to run it. But there is this, you know, it, it's this misunderstanding where it's like autoimmune disease is when you have full-blown symptoms. But in conventional medicine, I mean, what is their treatment? Their treatment is pharmaceuticals. So you don't you don't want to give people these pharmaceuticals, like these, like the immune modulating pharmaceuticals that can put you at higher risk of cancer. They don't want to give that to you until things are bad enough. But autoimmune disease is a spectrum. And I like to talk about it. Like when I lecture about it, I actually use a little rainbow that I show. And it's like at one end of the rainbow, the antibodies start, you're in the middle, that's where like symptoms start to present. And when you get to the other side, that's where there's full-blown tissue changes that are irreversible. Now you're looking at medications. And what we want to do is we want to catch people at the very beginning where that pot of gold is, the antibodies, and know that antibodies show up years. I mean, some of them decades before the disease shows up and it's predictive. And so you can go in and say, okay, you've got these antibodies. Here's what's coming down the pipeline if we don't do something. But there's so much we can do to reverse that and to prevent it going into a disease. Yeah, for sure. Do you... It is really interesting. And it's funny because you talk about this all in a way that most doctors don't. Hopefully it's all catching up because I do think if people could take a more broad approach, just like you said, I think not that everything gets solved, like like you said, but there, you take different approaches. And I think you, I always felt very in the dark, at least with my stuff. And I was always trying to look for answers mm-hmm. and it was fascinating. And I mean, it was fine. It all worked out for me. We adopted a beautiful girl and I'm all good with that. But I always found it just an interesting part of it where there was definitely like a lack of information. And so then everything just kind of stops. So yeah. it was really interesting. Yeah. So it was interesting. So here's my other question. Do you feel like things like you've talked about menopause and perimenopause and do you feel like things like that can be slowed down or reversed or not reversed but slowed down if you actually like take care of your hormonal balance 
Well, I think that menopause is an, is a necessary transition. I mean, that's and that's a new season. I mean, it's just a new season of being a woman. And there's, you know, all the principles that you'll find in Beyond the Pill can help that transition be so much easier. But if you're going into menopause, if you're having menopausal symptoms before age 40 or even 45, like I think, you know, having menopausal symptoms before age 45 is pretty early. Um, you know, some people will say, okay, well, 45 is, is normal, but I really like to see that more like 48, 50. And, and that's really, uh, something I think if you are caring for your health, I mean, what is menopause, but the ovaries are starting their decline. And so if you're taking care of your health and you're really, um, again, those great antioxidants that feed the mitochondria and you are supporting yourself in that way, then yeah, that transition should be easier and it should come later. What antioxidants like do you prefer? Like what in food? How do you like to bring in antioxidants into your body? Well, for sure, I think you you know why I'm so big on you know food first is that I think we're all focused a lot on macronutrients and micronutrients, and I think that in the future, and this is somebody who has a background in nutritional biochemistry for everybody listening, is that I think in the future we're going to see that it's way more complex than than what we've been distilling it down to in these basic things of like what nutrients, what antioxidants, what macros. Like everybody's, you know, should you be keto? Should you eat all these carbs? And it's like. Food is information. It's always been information about our environment. And I think that there's a complexity, even if you look at how plants grow, it is so complex in terms of their interaction with soil organisms, with the other little critters that are roaming around in the ground. And so I think we're going to find that it's, it's a much more complex than what we've come to understand. But in terms of antioxidants, for sure, get your plants in. I mean, you will be hard pressed to ever find a study that says like, everybody should eat less plants. It's always eat more <laughs> plants. Like seven to nine servings a day of plants is really the ideal. It's not going to happen that way every day, but as often as you can. And it's something that like, you know, people on my Instagram see every morning, I start with a bunch of veggies because if you start with a bunch of veggies, it is so much easier to really get all of those vegetables in in the day. And then of course, you know, I'm not anti-fruit. I've never seen somebody actually like heal things by taking away like all fruits, like 100% for the rest of their life and be like, in like that just is something where like, I go back to like, look, if you were a, your primal self roaming around and you came across some berries, you would eat the hell out of those berries. Like I always think that too. I know. Yeah. It feels like the most natural thing. Totally. But you know, when it comes to things, uh, you know, like for fertility and for egg health and brain health, you know, we want to look at things like, uh, for sure, CoQ10. CoQ10 is uh, depleted by hormonal birth control. You can find CoQ10. You know, one of the best places you can get CoQ10 is in beef heart because it's concentrated in the heart. Um, not every, I'm actually in Paris. You can get organ meat everywhere. Everywhere. Like, these I people know. are like, they, you know, and this is something my husband and I, <laughs> the other morning we were laying in bed and I was like, I haven't really seen anybody overweight. Like, this is really interesting. And he was like, well, it's really hard to find processed food. I'm like, totally. It's so easy here to like go get whole foods. And then it's, it's all super nutrient dense, but. And, um, and they eat meat and they're eating bread and they're usually eating their dessert and like their ice cream. I mean, that's what I love to yeah. eat cheese, uh, you know, and drinking their wine and yes, they always look great. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but it's something that like you have to walk everywhere. There's that, but there's just so many whole foods. And guys, I'm not one of those people that's like, 
you know, for a while there, there was this trend of like, here's what the French do better than everybody. And I got right. kind of annoyed with that. I was like, stop. Even Every- raising kids. Yeah. Yeah. It was the kids thing that really I was like, just stop. <laughs> just stop. Um, and that's actually like played in my mind with my kid here. I'm like, oh God, am I being one of those American parents? I'm like, stop. You're doing the best you can. You just keep moving. See, that, that negative self-talk comes in, you guys. And then I just got to like Thyroid. snap right back out of it. Um, yeah. The, so CoQ10, excellent. You can get it in beef heart. If you do want to try that, the way I recommend it is going to a butcher, get a grass-fed beef heart, ask them to grind it for you. 25% beef heart and then 75% grass-fed ground beef. You put that together. It's honestly the best burger you've ever had in your life. So that's one thing. Uh, but if you're like, I don't want to get down with that, you can always take supplements of CoQ10. It's totally fine. Um, right. And then, you know, making sure that you are doing things to help your glutathione, like getting your selenium in, considering something like N-acetylcysteine. So NAC, uh, as it commonly goes by, has been shown to help with fertility, lower rate of miscarriage, especially in PCOS women. Um, and it's a precursor to glutathione. And glutathione is like the mother of all antioxidants. And you got to look at like where are you getting your vitamin E, getting your vitamin A. Um, you know, studies will come out and say negative things about some of these antioxidants. Really eat them and, and start with your food base. And then it depends on what you have going on. Like if it's fertility, we're going a lot higher with antioxidants. But um, what I'll say is that, uh, you know, we do need a level of oxidative stress. And so just to keep that in mind is that some oxidative stress is good. It's just when we've got way too much of it going on that we have that problem. What are things you can do for like your libido, like getting your sex? Because I know you talk about that a lot too. Like what are things people can do to take or eat? I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure anyone, male or female, the men are like, yes, please tell them. And the women are like, yeah, we all want to know. Oh, man. I love that you're like, I know you talk a lot about that. I talk, yeah, I talk about libido and orgasm all the time. I love it's that. It's so funny. Like, um, so Dave Asprey, he's a good friend of mine, and he sent me his new book, Game Changers, that came out. And I was like, hey, thanks for your book. And he's like, well, you're in it. And I'm like, oh, I'm in it. Like, what'd you quote me on? All orgasms. Like, all this <laughs> orgasm talk. And I was like, oh, my Amazing. God. Like, I'm going down in history is like the orgasm lady. I love this. Um, cause orgasms, I'm convinced they are like part of that. Like you want to know the fountain of youth orgasms, like the hormones that you release and you, you got beyond the pill. So, you know, I went into like, here's all the reasons you want to be having orgasms. Like there are so many reasons. And like, there is this idea forever. It's old story. I just like to call these things stories. Cause we always get to change our stories. Um, and the old story is like, Women don't have a libido. Like having a libido is nice. And, you know, orgasms are like this mystical unicorn that like, oh, it'll (laughs) never be seen. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, this is back when like we were taught that the clitoris was this little button that sat on top of your urethra. Urethra, I can speak. Okay. (laughs) But but now we understand it's actually this giant structure that takes a deep dive like into the vagina and like, oh my gosh, like there's like this huge clitoris that we like never knew. That was just the tip of the iceberg there. Again, medicine, you need to catch up. Um, (laughs) So yeah, but with getting your libido back, you know, what really it comes down to uh, when we're talking about birth control is the genetic alterations that happen in the liver. And so hormonal birth control causes your liver to express more sex hormone binding globulin, which is a protein that grabs onto sex hormones. Your body is never betraying you. 
It's looking out for you because you're on all these synthetic hormones. And it's like, that's trouble. We got we to gotta gobble up some of that so that like the, you don't get overstimulation of cells that shouldn't be stimulated by these hormones. Um, but the trouble is, is that hormonal birth control downregulates testosterone production, then grabs onto it, then you lose your libido. Then <clears throat> hormonal birth control can lead to things like chronic vaginal yeast infections. So now we have irritation of the tissue. It can lead to spasming of the vagina, pain with intercourse, pain with orgasms, which is super lame. You like lose your libido. <laughs> you finally get in the mood. You have an orgasm. It hurts really bad. Like yeah, what is that about? Right. That's the worst. Um, and you can have vaginal atrophy. You know, I talk with pelvic floor physical therapists who are like, I work with young girls in their 20s. Their vaginas look like the 60-year-old women I work with because they're not <laughs> getting – I know. That sounds, sounds – that's as bad as it sounds. Um, and sorry, that was kind of just like I put it on the table for you guys. Like just drop that there. But – um, that's the real talk. Uh, it can cause that vaginal atrophy. Wow. And so, you know, there's a lot of issues that come up. And why I say that is because, we, so one is with the sex hormone binding globulin, the researchers have said, well, you know, they went and measured these women five years later and they concluded that the sex hormone binding globulin levels never come down to the levels of a pre-birth control state. That is a woman who's never used hormonal birth control. And so they just concluded it's forever. It's like forever going to be elevated. And so that means women wouldn't get their libido back. The protocols you will find in uh, Beyond the Pill, thank you to my patients who, uh, you know, helped me learn these, uh, you know, protocols. And, you know, it was a lot of trial and error with a lot of them. We've been able to restore women's libidos, get the sex hormone binding globulin back to a healthy level. But if, it, if you are having pain with intercourse, anything like that, if you come off of hormonal birth control, you're going to have to do some work to get your libido back. But the other thing is that if you're having pain with intercourse, understand that your nervous system is going to remember that. And you're going to have aversion. Like every organism moves away from pain. So you may need to have some conversations with your partner. You need, may need extra lubrication on hormonal birth control. You generally do need lubrication just so you know that's totally normal part of being a woman. It's for some yeah. reason movies like to act like, oh, every woman, <laughs> like you just look at her and boom, they're having sex. Like it doesn't work that way. Women need, um, they need, we need a lot of foreplay. So like, and foreplay for us is like, can you do the dishes and take care of the kids? Oh my and all God, that? it's like, so true. <laughs> we have to feel safe and provided for and taken care of. And then our stress hormones come down and then we're like that. Then you stand a chance and then of getting, you know, getting us in the mood. And then from there, there's a lot of stimulation that has to happen. And that's a conversation that has to happen with your partner. Like, what, what do you like? And then that stimulation, you know, it can take women, you know, from start to finish of like, once you get in the bedroom, is like a good hour to get to an orgasm. And I say that because sometimes men are like, oh my gosh, like it takes me so long like to get you there. Like something's wrong with me. And it's like, no, that's how we're wired. The movies, they be lying to you. Like yeah, stop looking totally. at that. Especially those kinds of movies as I do air quotes. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> So, well, that's you know, a whole nother conversation. Yeah, that's right. Learning a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, you know, that piece of, uh, you know, you got to have the conversations. You may need to meet with a pelvic floor physical therapist to do a little vagina rehabilitation. No shame in that. Every, do you know in France they, um, and I wrote about this in my first book. Uh, you have a baby and you get ten sessions with a pelvic floor physical therapist. It's like no question. Like you have a baby and they call you up and they're like, "Are you ready to come back in and work on your pelvic floor?" Because they understand. That's a very important part of health and longevity. Like we're talking about like 
urinary incontinence in the future, one of the big reasons women end up being put in nursing homes as, as an older adult. So like, take care of your vaginas, everyone. Wow. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, bringing in adaptogenic herbs can be super beneficial. So whenever your libido is low, ask yourself, how, how is it that my environment is telling my body it's not safe? Because if your body perceives the environment is not safe, it says, hey, let's make cortisol because that's going to keep us safe. And let's shut down baby making because running away from a tiger with a big old nine-month pregnant belly, that ain't, that ain't going to work. So let's not have a libido, let's not be fertile, and let's just go like all into survival mode. So bringing in adaptogenic herbs, things like rhodiola, ashwagandha, holy basil, um, ginsengs for sure, um, those have been like, those are like, the libido uh, ones that always get touted. Um, but bringing in adaptogenic herbs can really help with that cortisol that. modulation. Cortisol just responsible for so much. Oh my God, every time. It's, yeah. it's amazing when you hear about it. Let's do your four use really quickly because I know you're in Paris and it's so late and you've been amazing. <laughs> thank you, for, thank you for all of this incredible information. But you have some fun for you, so let's do these too. For sure. Do you journal? Do you journal or have any other daily practice? Yes. So I do a gratitude journal daily. Um, that's because when you are doing, you know, doing life and it gets the best of you, it is so easy to run those negative thoughts and to think like, I'm totally a loser. And when you go back to that place of gratitude, like you have that little journal, you whip it out, like it resets everything and you want to balance your hormones quickly and get out of fight or flight, get into gratitude. That's also how you manifest all the amazing things you want in this life. I love gratitude. I'm with you. What's your current obsession? Uh, being in France, fresh roses, <laughs> actually. Um, I, do, I do love me some cheese. She but has some literally right behind her, by the I way. I know. But, <laughs> so there's flower shops everywhere. And there's a gal that I just love in the flower shop to go like chat with. We, she doesn't speak English. I don't speak French, but we still communicate really lovely. Um, and so, yeah, it's something where I'm like, this is a little thing that I can do for myself and bring into my house. And then every time I see them, I'm super happy. My husband actually got me the ones that are behind me and they match my book cover and I was like oh my Aww. god you're like the best um so yeah how roses, cute is that yeah I know it was kind of awesome right <laughs> what is a food drink or object you can't live without my pendulums so I have multiple pendulums and uh I they're all actually necklaces so that I can wear them and those are something that like they always travel with me they're always with me so you know if you guys have been listening you're like wait she's talking about all this intuitive stuff and then she's talking about all this like science stuff and yeah and then sometimes that logical brain thinks it knows best and I'm like tap into that intuition baby and pull that pendulum out is that how it start how did it start for you the like wearing pendulums um, and I, my first pendulum, you couldn't even wear it. I actually wa walked into this, um, rock kind of crystal shop. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, you're for me. Like you're supposed to be with me. And the lady was like, that's a pendulum. And I'm like, that's my pendulum. Like, and, and that's how it started. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, the, um, yeah, my other ones, like, I'm like one I found, uh, I saw it online with this gal and she raises awareness for Crohn's disease. And I was like, that one, that one's mine. And then another one was, um, Oh, I want to say the wild feminine, but that's not right. That was my mentor, Tammy Kent's book, um, the wild unknown, which is in Portland. Um, I walked in my rose quartz one. I walked in and as soon as I saw it, I was like, mine, that's, that's for me right there. It just speaks to you. I love that. I love that. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? I breathe. 
<laughs> so, and like for real, you guys, not just like, oh, I'm breathing, but like I, I aim to take like five deep breaths with emphasis on that exhale so I can set that parasympathetic tone for the day. I think it's really easy, um, especially like I'm like launching a book right now to wake up and to run your to-do list and like to think about what you have to like do for everyone else and for yourself and like what the day is going to be like. And then you just like determine the day is going to be exactly the same as it was yesterday. And so instead I try to tap into my breath because like when you're in doubt, when you're in fear, when you're angry, like when anything's going on in life, you can always return to your breath. But if you don't remind yourself to breathe, then that's not going to happen. And then, um, and then it, immediately following that, it's exposing myself to natural light. I, I love this conversation because you do flow so easily between kind of the energetic and the physical and the scientific and the spiritual. And that's, <laughs> It's such a unique combination and it's really beautiful because, I, again, I think it's all connected. And so thank you. I appreciate all your knowledge. I mean, I could talk to you for five more hours because I feel like we just like picked at just a little bit because you know way too much. Um, <laughs> Someone actually called me the Google of women's medicine yesterday and I was like, that is probably the biggest compliment, compliment. anyone has ever given me in my life. Like, that's amazing. I'm like, I don't feel that way. I feel like there's so much I don't know still. Are you like the person whose friends text for everything? Like all your girlfriends constantly text you about everything? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those situations though that I have to say I have really... The, my girlfriends have really good boundaries themselves. So they're really good at respecting boundaries. And so we all, we all walk the line with one another, but they know like, yeah, that they can reach out anytime and I'm happy to help them. I mean, it's amazing. It's a good resource for them. Incredible. Um, a reminder to everyone, she's going to do her personal practice, which is a sacral chakra meditation, which I'm really excited for, which you can also get in her book, Beyond the Pill. And we're doing a giveaway with the book, which we're so excited about. And I'll do details for that afterwards. But thank you so much for your time. You're incredible. And I so appreciate talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. And I really appreciate you, uh, Ah, just asking such great questions. They were really great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, well, because I feel like I don't know anything in this area, so I have a million questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that makes it a little bit easier. And now Dr. Jolene Brighton is going to do her personal practice, which is a sacral chakra meditation. Okay, ladies. So if you are struggling with hormone imbalance, if you're trying to get pregnant, you want to restore your libido, then this is a practice that you want to do daily if possible, if not twice a day. And with this, this is about owning your sacral chakra and coming back into your womb space. And so much of women's medicine is done to us rather than with us that we've actually been trained in medicine to abandon this space. And I bet you've done it yourself. I certainly have. So to get ready, you can sit at a desk or you can sit on the floor. So if you're sitting at a desk, have your feet flat on the floor, place your sits bones at the edge of your chair so that your back is away from the chair and you can sit up nice and tall. Or if you're sitting on the floor, you can sit in a cross-legged position, whatever is most comfortable for you, that's what matters here. Now you're going to make an inverted triangle with your hands. So take the heel of your hands and place them, palms towards yourself, on your hip bones. So heel of the hands on the hip bones, and then let those fingertips just come down, and they're going to point down towards the floor. 
and then the thumbs will come together to make the baseline of the triangle. Now this is the symbol for your womb space, and this is also the symbol for woman. It makes it even more powerful. Now I want you to bring your awareness into the space and draw your breath down into your pelvis. So as you inhale through your nose, just imagine that breath spiraling down and filling up that pelvic bowl. As you let that breath swirl down, just let it pause for a minute and then exhale gently. As you exhale, I want you to start releasing things that no longer serve you. The pelvic bowl is a very good place to put things that we need to work on. As women, this is our creativity center, but sometimes some stuff can get stagnant there and we can be holding on to things that we don't really need anymore. So you can just thank them, bless them, and send them on their way. So you breathe in again and swirl that breath down. Imagine that breath just cleansing, washing away, freeing things up, and then exhale. Let it move right out of the body. So you're going to want to continue this meditation for a good three to five minutes, again, every day. And if you can do this twice daily, even better. And as you end, bless the pelvic bowl, bless the space. And if you have a little seat, oh, <laughs> if you have a little seed of intention, you can also plant that there to grow. Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.